Uh, Let me pray, and then we'll jump into this passage uh, that Cameron read to us. So, Father, thank you so much for your word. And, Lord, thank you that in it we we actually find truth. Um, We actually find uh, how it is that we can know you. We find how it is that we should live. And, Lord, I pray that your spirit would... Uh, would challenge us today and encourage us today through uh, the reading of your word and through looking at it together. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Somebody recommended to me in the spring this book by John Steinbeck, which is not one of his uh, novels, but it's a travel log. So it's called Travels with Charlie in Search of America. And um, this is like, he's doing what I dream of. I told Emmy this is what I want to do for my 45th birthday in a few years. Um, he took his dog in a, like a camper van truck thing, and he drove all the way across America and back. So just him and his dog uh, went and did it. And that sounds like a lot of fun to me. And the point of it is he wanted to understand America. He wanted to understand the American psyche. And so that's sort of why he's writing the book and, and why he's doing this. You know, one of the great American authors. And he does this around the year 1960. And so just before he leaves, he's got his, uh, his truck with the motorhome on the back of the truck parked outside of his house in uh, Sag Harbor, New York. And this is what he writes. He says, under the big oak trees of my place at Sag Harbor sat my camper truck, handsome and self-contained, and neighbors came to visit, some neighbors we didn't even know we had. I saw in their eyes something I was to see over and over and over in every part of the nation a burning desire to go, to move, to get underway, any place away from any here. They spoke quietly of how they wanted to go someday, to move about free and unanchored, not towards something, but away from something. I saw this look and heard this yearning everywhere in every state I visited. Nearly every American hungers to move. Uh, He wrote that in about 1960. Um, in other words, what he's saying, and I think this is probably more true today than it was in 1960, because we're way more mobile now than we were then. But in other words, here's what he's saying. He's saying that we, as Americans, if you're an American, we believe that there is something better than what is imminent. And imminent, by the way, just means some, what's immediate, means what's around you, what's near, the things that, that, are, that you can touch. And what Steinbeck is saying is, we believe that there is a a sort of transcendent reality that is out there that is thicker, more substantive than the one that we currently uh, live in. There's there's always something that's better over there, something better down there, better in that place. And transcendent, by the way, it means something above or supernatural, something beyond just what we can see and touch and smell and taste and hear. And the observation that as Americans, we all, that we all want to move, it reveals this deeply ingrained desire for something beyond what is imminent. That we all have this desire in us, that there's this great desire for something that is beyond just the things that are around us, actually a desire for something that is transcendent. Uh, Charles Taylor, he's a Canadian philosopher and a Catholic, he puts it this way. He says, there is a fear and anxiety that our actions, goals, achievements, and life have a lack of weight, gravity, thickness, substance. There is a deeper resonance which they lack, which we feel should be there. And what Taylor goes on to ex- try to explain, and, and he actually does it very well, is that we always feel that there is this lack of weight, this lack of thickness to our lives until our lives are attached to something transcendent. So until your life is attached to something bigger than you, beyond you, you will always feel like your life is lacking. 
And that's what he goes on to explain. Um, and our desire then to be always moving, always advancing, always going, always changing, is actually betraying our desire for something transcendent to give our lives that gravity, that thickness, that substance. So that desire that Steinbeck talked about actually reveals this desire in us to be connected to something beyond us. And by the way, this desire for the transcendent, it's actually, it's what makes Angelinos uh, different from, say, New Yorkers or Londoners or Berliners. Because here in Los Angeles, people do believe in something transcendent. I think at least once a week, I overhear people on the street or in a coffee shop say something like, and this is betraying the desire for the transcendent. So this is, I'm not making a negative comment, this is just what people say. They'll say something like, you know, somebody's been sharing a good story of something good that's happened, and they'll say, you know, the universe must be giving you a good gift right now. Or if they're sharing a, you know, a woeful tale, their friend will say, well, it looks like the universe is just against you right now. And that's betraying this desire for something transcendent. And that's a common conversation that happens around here. And so when you say that, or you think that, or when you believe that, or even when you long for, for that, for the universe, for something bigger than you to interfere, you are believing in, or at least you're moving towards belief in something transcendent. Uh, but here's where Steinbeck didn't go far enough in his observations. Because if you remove God from the equation, if you cancel God, but are still looking for the transcendent by moving, by changing jobs, by changing partners, in the end, all you're left with is a new location, a new city, a new job, a new partner, a new experience, whatever it is. But not with something thicker, not with something weightier. Because what we find is that all of those things, the moving and the changing of the jobs and all of those things, those things are all too thin as well. And that's why I love this story of Nicodemus. Uh, because Nicodemus, he comes to Jesus, and what he shows us is that he's just like you and I. Uh, he, Nicodemus actually feels this lack of weightiness and thickness to his own life. And so he comes to Jesus to see if Jesus can lead him to something thicker, more weighty, something transcendent. And of course, that's exactly what Jesus does. Uh, we're kind of dipping in and out of this recurring series called The Great Physician. Every now and again, we look at a few episodes in the life of Jesus where he interacts directly with individuals. And we wanna, we're ask, always asking the question when we do that, how does he treat a person who comes to him seeking truth? Or how does he treat a person who comes to him seeking forgiveness? Or how does he treat a person who comes to him and wants to confront him? And what we've been seeing as we've dipped in and out of this series are all the ways that you and I can come to Jesus for truth. All the ways we can come to him for forgiveness. All the ways we can even come to him to challenge him to see if he'll stand up to our scrutiny. And so here's how Jesus treats Nicodemus, and these are our three points. Uh, Jesus meets Nicodemus in three ways in this one interaction. Uh, first, he meets him face to face. Secondly, he meets him mind to mind. And then thirdly, heart to heart. And in all of these ways, Jesus leads Nicodemus to the transcendent, to something beyond only the imminent, you know, only what's at hand in the physical world. And so he talks to Nicodemus about his spiritual condition. And he shows him if he really wants gravity to his life, he must be renewed, not physically, but spiritually. So Jesus meets him face to face, mind to mind, and heart to heart. And before we look at those three points, it's worth getting to know Nicodemus just a little bit. Uh, so Nicodemus, he's an intellectual. Uh, it says in verse 1 that he's a Pharisee and a member of the Jewish ruling council. Uh, now, a Pharisee is a person who dedicated their whole life, every part of their life, every moment of their life, to keeping the Old Testament laws and regulations. 
some of you might remember a few years back, there was an author named A.J. Jacobs, and he came out with a book called The Year of Living Biblically. Do you remember this? And what he set out to do for 365 days is try and live out every uh, rule and regulation in the Bible. Um, and then he writes this book as his observations on it. And uh, basically, that's what a Pharisee tried to do. Except they didn't just do it for a year. They tried to do it for their whole life. Uh, and it also says that Nicodemus was a member of the Jewish ruling council, which means he's, he's in the ruling class. He's in the upper echelons of society. And even more than that, if you look down at verse 10, Jesus says to Nicodemus, he says, uh, you're Israel's teacher. And the way that sentence is structured in the original language, it's actually phrased as a question. It says something like, Nicodemus, aren't you the teacher? Aren't you the teacher? He doesn't say, aren't you a teacher? He says, aren't you the teacher? And, and this is what the NIV is trying to show us with the translation we have. When it says, you know, aren't you Israel's teacher? He's, he's saying, Nicodemus is the teacher in Israel. He's the famous teacher that everyone was following at the time. And so essentially, Nicodemus is the Brene Brown, the Jordan Peterson, the John Stewart. You name your person that you follow who teaches. That's who Nicodemus is. And so he was the one whom everyone looked to for wisdom for how to live. And so he's a well-known intellectual who is also one of the rulers of the country. This is Nicodemus. And if you keep reading in John's gospel, you find out that he actually stands up for justice in society. You find out that he's a person full of empathy. And so here you have a man who is intellectual, who is virtuous, who is just, who is caring. And in a way, he's like, isn't he the ideal person? He's exactly the person with all the virtues we say that we value the most. And he's, you know, if you think about it, he's exactly the kind of person who doesn't need Jesus. He's got it all sorted out. What does he need Jesus for? And yet, he is drawn to Jesus. He seeks him out. Why? Transcendence. Thickness. Weightiness. Nicodemus sees this lack of transcendence in his life. One commentator put it this way. He said, In the heart of Nicodemus, there was a great unsatisfied longing. Nicodemus is up against the eternal problem, the problem of the man who wants to be changed and who not, cannot change himself. I love that. The eternal problem, the problem of the man who wants to be changed and who cannot change himself. Now be honest. Be honest with yourself. Isn't that your problem too? I know it's my problem. It's the eternal problem. The problem of the man or the woman who wants to be changed, but who cannot change himself. Well, let's see how Jesus treats a man like that. A man who on the outside is clearly the kind of person who has no need for Jesus. He's intellectual. He's virtuous. He's just. He's caring, empathetic. And yet on the inside, he feels the deep, unsatisfied longing to be changed into something better. Or put it the way Steinbeck does, to move. How does Jesus treat a person like that? Well, first he treats him face to face. And as we see Jesus and Nicodemus meet face to face, we first see what Nicodemus thinks of Jesus. Uh, verse 2, it says, He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. 
Now, just put that another way. He's saying, Jesus, we know you're transcendent. We know that you've come from God. Now, what is Nicodemus doing? He, he wants to come face to face with the transcendent. He wants, to, he wants that in his life. And here's what's interesting about this. He comes to Jesus, but he doesn't ask anything of him. He's like, okay, Jesus is this transcendent one. He clearly comes from God. And he comes up to him, and he just he doesn't ask anything of him. He comes with a statement. It's not unlike if you see a famous person, you might just blurt out, Oh, you're Tom Hanks! And then Tom Hanks is standing there like, Yeah? And? <laughs> Did you want something? Nicodemus makes this statement, you're, you're Jesus. You're the teacher. You're the one who's come from God. And then he quietly waits for Jesus to say something or do something. And then, of course, Jesus does. And the thing Jesus says to Nicodemus might actually be some of the most famous words ever uttered and then put down on paper. Uh, verse 3, Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now, I hope you have that open. It's page 913. And I want you to look at, at that with me even more closely, maybe more closer than you've ever looked at it before, because you hear that phrase thrown around, don't you? Like, it's almost, usually it's whispered. Oh, are you, sorry, are you a, a, a born-again Christian? Or maybe even more subtle, and you step, you know, somebody steps aside, and they're like, she's born again. <laughs> Right? That's, that's the context that we normally hear this. And, and usually what people mean by that is something about their morals. You know, they don't swear, they don't drink, they don't sleep around, they don't cheat at work, whatever it is. But I want you to look closely at the text in front of you. Uh, the Greek word there, I don't normally do this, but the Greek word there for that, that word again, when it says born again, um, is uh, the, the word anathen. And you'll notice next to that word again, uh, in verse 3, is a little tiny footnote. Do you see that in there? And if you follow that footnote down to the bottom of the page, what does it say? And just in case it's too small for you to read, I'll, I'll have it up here on the screen for you. It says, the Greek for again also means from above. And this is, word is also used in verse 7, it's saying. And verse 7, it's just Jesus reiterates this saying. But it also uses the very same word, anathen, uh, down in verse 31. So you have to flip the page over if you're in the, the Black Pew Bibles. But in verse 31... It says this, it says, the one who comes from above. And that word there, above, it's the same word, anathen. Now, why am I showing you this level of detail? Because what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus could be translated this way. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born from above. Now, what's Jesus talking about? He's talking about transcendence. Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, in effect, even if I'm a teacher come from God and can do signs and wonders, and you see them all and you hear all the teaching, you cannot understand my teaching unless you are born from above. Now, this must have cut Nicodemus to the heart, because remember who Nicodemus is. He's a Pharisee. And so he knows the word of God inside and out, and he obeys it. He's one of the rulers of Israel. He's in the upper crust of society. And remember, he's the teacher in Israel. And when Jesus meets him face to face, he says to him, even with all that pedigree, no level of intellect, 
no pile of virtue, no record of justice, no flood of empathy that a man or woman could build up is enough to understand my teaching unless you were born from above. And so in this statement, the statement that Jesus utters to Nicodemus, it's his supreme message to the world. It's a message that runs counter to the pride of human intellects. It's counter to the ego of virtuousness. It's counter to the self-respect of empathy and compassion that no one can understand Jesus Christ or the kingdom of God unless he or she is born from above. All people must be born again, he's saying. And there's nothing that you've done up to this point that counts, no matter who you are. Man or woman, rich or poor, virtuous or sinner, you must be born from again if you want that eternal problem, the problem of the man or woman who wants to be changed, but who cannot change himself. If you want that solved, Jesus Christ says you must be born from above. And that's, you know, so when he meets him face to face, he really meets him face to face. He challenges him. Now, before we move on to point two, in this face-to-face interaction, there's one other important detail that we might have missed. And so, uh, did you see what time of day it was that Nicodemus came to Jesus back in verse two? He comes at night. Now, scholars have debated why he comes at night. You know, was he ashamed to come to Jesus? Uh, Was he being cautious because he's so famous? Was he trying to get away from the paparazzi? Uh, Some scholars say that nighttime was the time that you would study, and so maybe he's just in the midst of study and wants to go ask him some questions. These are all some of the reasons that they think he might have come at night, but pick your reason. It doesn't matter. The point is, Nicodemus actually comes to Jesus at an unconventional time in an unconventional way. And so regardless of the reason, I want to pause and just say one thing, particularly to those of you who are not yet a Christian or maybe you're on the fence. It is infinitely better to come to Jesus in the middle of the night than not at all. Infinitely better. And look at how Jesus responds to someone who comes to him unconventionally. He meets him face to face. He doesn't turn him away. He doesn't ask him to come back during business hours. He just meets him face to face and he speaks the truth to him. And so it's infinitely better to come to Jesus Christ in the middle of the night than to never come at all. So that's point one. In Nicodemus, we see the man with the eternal problem of needing change. We see him meeting face to face with the man who is also God, the truly transcendent one. And not only do they meet face to face, but secondly, they meet mind to mind. Because now is when Nicodemus starts asking questions. So first he just blurted out, oh my gosh, you're Jesus. And now he asks a question. And the first question he asks is the logical question after somebody says you must be reborn or born again or born from above, however you want to translate it. Verse 4, how can someone be born when they are old? That is the logical question. You should be asking that question. And obviously this doesn't compute in his mind. And nor would it if you were the kind of person who only believes in what's imminent and what's physical, what's near and what's at hand. And so now we know that he's only thinking about the imminent, that the only framework he has for a person to experience rebirth or renewal is in the flesh. Uh, The question and the statement he makes, they actually reveal his sort of logical teacher's mind. And he's thinking, you know, Jesus, I'm a grown man. I am today, as a grown man, the result of all I was yesterday and the day before, and all the yesterdays since the day I was born. 
I am today the result of every thought in my mind, every word on my tongue, every action in my body. I am the result of every, everything done to me, either for my good or my harm. I am, I am today the sum of all of the experiences I've had in my life. They're all woven together into the person I am today. And so this idea of rebirth, renewal, revival, he's saying, uh, no, that's not possible. And I love the way that Nicodemus presses Jesus on this because he goes on in verse 4. He says, surely, he answers his own question. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And so he presses Jesus by showing the utter impossibility of rebirth. And if you follow Nicodemus' argument to its logical conclusion, he's also arguing that not only can a person not start all over again physically, but they wouldn't be able to do it mentally or emotionally. And you know what? If you only believe in the imminent, only in what you can see and touch and taste and smell and hear, then it would make sense to be on Team Nicodemus here. Even if you believe there's something transcendent, maybe if if you have this belief that, yeah, there is something bigger, but it's not personal. It's not a personal transcendent being. It would also make sense to be on Team Nicodemus here because, you know, that doesn't really say, oh, yes, you could be born again. And so Team Nicodemus here is saying, born from above, renewed, born again, not possible. But if you leave the transcendent out, if you leave out a personal, loving God, then you're still left with that eternal problem of needing to change, but without the ability to change yourself. And if there's no personal, loving, transcendent God who cares about you, who created you, who knows you intimately and yet loves you anyway, if, that's, if you've canceled that God, what are you left with? What options do you have? You have only the imminent. You have only yourself. You have only the things that are around you. Uh, earlier this weekend, uh, we were out for a walk on Sunset Boulevard over in Silver Lake. And there was a group of people painting a new mural on the side of a building. And here's a photo of it. Can we go to that photo? There it is. If you can't read what it says, uh, it says, looking inward to grow upward, exclamation point. Um, And doesn't that describe just perfectly the desire, actually, that we all have for change? Like, I read that and I thought, yeah. These are people that are putting up a mural saying, yeah, we we should all move upward. We should all desire something better, to to improve, to be renewed in some way. And I think it describes what Charles Taylor was saying. He's saying there is a fear and anxiety that our actions, our goals, our achievements, and the life that we have, they, they, they lack a weight, a gravity, a substance, a thickness. That there's this deeper resonance which they lack and we feel should be there. Isn't that what that's trying to say? That we should all try and advance. So we have to do something about the lack of weight, about the lack of thickness, the gravity. And and the message of this mural is saying everything that you need to do, because think about what it's telling you, though. That everything that you need to, to do to overcome, to change, is inside of you. And so it expresses the desire, but I think it places the solution to that desire in the wrong place, because it says look inward in order to grow upward. But again, be honest. Just think about yourself. Don't think about anyone else. Just think about yourself. There's not enough stuff in there, is there? It's all too thin. It's the first time anyone's ever described me as thin. 
There's not enough substance to deal with everything that we need to change in there. And actually, this mural, it does, it points to that, that transcendent, that desire for the transcendent, for something greater than ourselves, because the idea in that mural is to, is to grow upward. That's a picture of advancement, of improvement, of moving. In other words, overcoming the eternal problem of needing to change. But if the starting point is within us, it's not thick enough. It doesn't have enough gravity to help us transcend. And that's precisely Jesus' response to Nicodemus. That seeking change only in the imminent, it just isn't going to work. Looking inward is never going to actually help you grow upward. You need change from above. You need the transcendence. So verse 5, Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. Now what is he saying? He's actually agreeing with Nicodemus. He's saying, you're right. You can't go back and enter into your mother's womb and be born again in the flesh. You're absolutely right, Nicodemus. And by the way, even if you did, even if you could, you'd start all over again as a newborn baby. And so you'd still end up where you are today, needing and desiring to be changed into someone better than you are today. And so the change that you're looking for, what he's saying is it's not in the flesh. It's not in the flesh. So what is the answer then? Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. And here we are again, being shown the need for something transcendent in our lives. Something from above. The rebirth that Jesus is talking about, it's a spiritual rebirth. And so just think about the change. Think about what it is that, that you so desire to be changed in you. And where are you looking to see that change? Are you looking in? Are you looking to the flesh, or are you looking to the spirit? Well, of course, this statement, uh, the spirit gives birth to the spirit, it leaves Nicodemus and you and me with the question of how. How could somebody experience this? Uh, and that's our third point. Jesus meets him heart to heart. So he, meet, he met him face to face, mind to mind, and now heart to heart. And the heart to heart discussion begins in verse 9 with another question. Of course, he says, how can this be? And this is not him being incredulous, pushing Jesus further, being like, no, 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 you're crazy. He, what he's asking is, how can I get this? How can I have this spiritual rebirth? How can I be born from above? What must I do to receive the change that I so desperately need? And in verses 10 to 12, Jesus says to the intellectual, he says, well, first, you need to, you need to intellectually accept the transcendent. That there is more to our reality than the things that you can see and touch and smell and feel and hear. And not only that, verse 13, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Now, do you know what that's saying? It's saying that the transcendent is not just the impersonal universe. It's not just a force out there. It's saying that the transcendent is a personal, eternal, loving God who in that moment, get this, in that moment, this eternal, personal, loving God is actually standing in the flesh in front of Nicodemus. The transcendent God transcended to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. And in this moment, he stands face to face, heart to heart, mind to mind with Nicodemus. And here's Jesus' answer to the question, how? And to you and me, I'm just going to be honest. It's going to come across as obscure. When Cameron read it earlier, you probably were like, wait, what? 
But to Nicodemus, this answer would have made complete sense. Verse 14, just as Moses, so how, how can I be born again? How can I experience this? Oh, let me tell you. Uh, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> how can a person be born again? How can a person be born from above? Well, Nicodemus, Moses lifted up a snake. You got it? And by the way, just we know that Nicodemus actually accepts this answer because by the end of the book of John, it's clear that he's a Christian. It's clear that he has been born from above. And so there has to be something going on here with this obscure reference to Moses and a snake. And so, well, of course there is. Uh, in the Old Testament book of Numbers, chapter 21, the nation of Israel, they're wandering around in the desert. And uh, at one point, as they're moving from camp to camp, wandering around, they start getting attacked by venomous snakes and people start dying. And so Moses, who had a very special relationship with God that meant he could sort of talk with God, he spoke to God about it. And here's what God told him to do. Numbers chapter 21, verse 8. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. Now, by the way, have you ever wondered why the symbol for anything medical, you know, a doctor, an ambulance, uh, is a snake wrapped around a pole? It's this symbol. You ever wondered? This is why. There you go. Uh, it's because of this story in the Bible. Now, the point of that story, now why does Jesus bring this up? The point of that story and what he's trying to say to Nicodemus is that those who looked up were saved. If you got bit by a snake and you only looked at the wound, you would die. But if you got bit and you looked up at the pole, you were saved. That's the story. That's the point of the story. Now just, again, think about this longing, this desire for us to be changed. Don't, don't we normally just look at the thing? Isn't that what we do? We obsess over the thing. God, I just want this change in my life. I want this sin to be done away with. I want this virtue to come alive in me. I want whatever it is. And we look at the thing and we obsess over the thing. That's the, the flesh giving birth to the flesh. No, no, the spirit gives birth to the spirit. And, and this, this snake on the pole, what's this a picture of? Here it is again. It's transcendence. The eternal problem we've been talking about, the need to be changed, but the impossibility to change ourselves, what Jesus is saying is, if you only look at the thing that needs changing, you'll never actually change. If you only look at the flesh, you'll never change because flesh only gives birth to flesh. You have to look to something transcendent, to someone transcendent. Because, of course, then Jesus explains where, where it is that we should look, and it's to Jesus Christ himself. Look again at verses 14 and 15. Again, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now what he's referring to is a time that would come when Jesus Christ himself would be lifted up on a pole, when he would die on a cross, when he would be raised up. And in fact, the gospel writer who records this interaction with Jesus and, and uh, Nicodemus, he actually interprets this saying in the next verse. And these are words that you probably know very well, even if you've never been to church before. It's John 3, 16. That's the very next verse. And you know what it says. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, what is Jesus trying to say here? 
He's trying to say that instead of looking in in order to grow upward, remember our mural? Invert that. Look upward to grow inward. That the way to solve that eternal problem, the problem of the man or woman who wants to be changed but who cannot change himself, is not to look inward but to look upward at Jesus Christ dying on the cross. And not only that, but Jesus Christ raised up from the dead. And not only that, but Jesus Christ ascended into heaven. You see, it's like this upward movement. And this is how it is that someone is born from above. By putting all of their hope on Jesus Christ, who is raised up on a pole to save us from the sickness, from the venom of our sins. Who was raised up from the dead to defeat death itself and who ascended to heaven where he's been given all authority in heaven and on earth and under the earth to deal with whatever it is that you bring before him that needs to be changed. And so do you want real change? Look upward to Christ. Are you filled with a, a fear and an anxiety that our actions, our goals, our achievements, our life have this lack of weight, this lack of gravity, thickness, substance? Is there a deeper resonance going on within you that, that knows there should be something more there? Are you trying to fill that with something imminent? With a move, with a new job, with ending a relationship, with starting a relationship, with a wardrobe change, with a gym membership, with a new something, a new car, a new whatever it is. They're all too thin. They're not weighty enough. And that, by the way, this is the reason why you just, you go from one imminent thing to another. This is the reason. None of them can carry the weight. The only way to deal with the eternal problem of needing change, but not being able to change yourself, the only way to deal with that is to look up to Christ. You need Christ to do that for you, for, through, uh, for you through being born from above. Now, very practically, and then I'll end, how do you do that? How do you learn to look up rather than in? Well, we, we've already talked about it this morning. We talk about it all the time, and there's a reason we do that. Because I think that's the answer. That's why we do it. Up, down, up, and out. We look up to worship Christ. We look up to him. That shows us the brokenness. That shows us the things that need to be changed in us. And so we bring those thing before, things before him. We ask his forgiveness. We ask for his help. And then he, he lifts us up. The one who is raised up, he lifts us up. He raises us up. That's how we go upward. And then we're sent out to live in light of it. Up, down, up, and out. And we do that here every Sunday. You can do that every time you pray, by the way. If you, don't, if you want to know how to pray, you can just pray that. Take some time and praise God. Take some time and confess before God. Take some time and give thanks to God and ask God to help you live your life in light of what his, his word teaches. If you want to know how to read and study the Bible, the same thing. Read it. Look for the things that you can praise God for. Look for the things that you can confess. Look for the things that you want to give thanks for and look for how God wants you to live it out. That's the way we do this. It's very simple, but it's hard. But if you can do that, up, down, up, out, in some way, each and every day, what you'll find about your life is what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 16, and I'll finish with these words. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Yet inwardly, 
we are being renewed day by day. Let me pray. Um, Our Father, we thank you so much for transcending. We thank you for coming. We thank you for being raised up on the pole. And Lord, there's all kinds of things that, that we would love to see changed in our lives. Lord, all kinds of things that we constantly run from imminent thing to imminent thing and never find that they, they solve the problem. And so, Lord, help us not to look there, but to look to you. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.